everyone. Welcome back to Can You Put Me On Guest List. Today I interview Nick Ferguson. Nick has built his way up from being a PR on the streets of Ibiza to launching one of the most thriving electronic music companies in the current scene, the Supernova Group. Previously manager of Cream Ibiza for 10 years, his events have sold out every venue from Amnesia and Privilege to Ushuaia and Space. Nick has also promoted events such as Creamfields, Tiesto Ibiza, Radio One and Electric Daisy Carnival UK, booking all genres from house and trance to techno and bass. His current projects include Defected Ibiza, Shine with Paul Van Dyke, Acid 87 Clothing and several other exciting investments. I remember when I first got here, you had to wade through an inch of flyers to get into the sea. That, I mean, that there was 20 PRs on every bit of beach just promoting you, giving you things all the time, posters everywhere, you know. It was literally flyers and posters everywhere. Now, because you're promoting a lot of the time online, you're also announcing your things about, you know, six months previously. Um, the whole kind of concept of promoting has changed the way you speak to people the way you find your audience it's now very targeted through social media instead of just covering the island hoping that somebody sees it and wants to come to your event in this episode we talk about how nick got to where he is today the challenges of promoting events in ibiza the island's current clubbing scene tips on starting a new night and much more if you are enjoying this podcast please remember to share like or subscribe it really does help Thank you for listening. This is Nick Ferguson on Can You Put Me on Guest List. Nick, hello, how are you? Hi, great, thanks. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for asking me. Of course. How's your winter been? Good? It's been amazing. Yeah, we um, we had a new baby last year, so we managed to spend lots of time travelling around with him and showing him the wonders of the world and oh, nice. obviously cracking on with a few work projects, but taking a bit of time out in nightclubs, which was very, very welcome after a very hard summer. Yeah, I can imagine. I'm ready now for a, a new season, loads going on, I guess, for you. Yeah, I thought I was ready. Uh, I had lots of time <laughs> to prepare, and then suddenly it's here now, it's the start it's of and I'm like, oh my God, we've got so much to do. Um, but yeah, you know, we're excited. It's, it's going to be another good summer, I think. I'm, I'm very optimistic about this summer. Good. Right, I just want to start off by talking about your beginnings because I know you've, you've done a lot. So I want to start off with um, how you first started out in the industry. I believe, was it in Ibiza or did you already do a few things in the UK? Um, yeah, I mean, kind of a long story over the last 20 years. Uh, well, in a nutshell, I grew up in Cornwall, um, a nice, quiet place to grow up. Um, there was no real kind of, you know, dance industry there. There was no dance music whatsoever. I grew up, and as a teenager, I was really into music, but I was very much into the indie kind of sound. I came up as a teenager during the Britpop era, so I was fully, you know, Oasis and Radiohead and things like yeah. that. thought dance music was actually like a little bit kind of cheesy and naff, because the only stuff that I'd heard was the stuff on the radio, which wasn't really the best kind of dance music, really. Um, and then I guess it was really the, the end of the 90s where I started to hear kind of better versions of electronic music. Well, to me, it was better, but, you know, yeah. you might find it was quite commercial. It was, you know, when trance became big and Robert Miles and Basement Jacks were big and, you know, stuff like that. Um, and then I got talked into going to Ibiza for a holiday with my friends when I was, uh, I think I was 16, 17, first lads holiday. Um, at to uh, persuade my girlfriend at the time to let me go. She wasn't very keen. Um, and then we got to Ibiza and we went clubbing for the first time and rocked up, I think it was at S Paradis for Clockwork Orange and there was a two hour queue to get in to see Brandon Block and Alex P. And then I was like, ah, okay, I get it. Because dance music didn't make that much sense on radio in Cornwall. 
Yeah. But being in a club with 4,000 people. So much different. The atmosphere of a beef. I was like, ah, oh, I get what this is now. It's am- <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Um, anyway, so I came back for a couple more holidays and then... I had decided by that point at 18, I wanted to go into the music industry. I, I was useless at making music. Um, I, I'm not a creative type whatsoever, but I, I was fascinated by the business behind the music, really. Um, so I found a degree in Buckinghamshire called Music Industry Management Degree, which now it sounds okay. ridiculous. It's like, wow, you can get a degree in anything these days. <laughs> Golf studies, David Beckham studies, you know, whatever. Um, but I enrolled on it and it was really, really interesting because I spent three years learning about, uh, you know, how record companies work, how artist management works, artist development. Um, we learned basics of accountancy, intellectual property law, branding, marketing. We, we literally learned, you know, the, the whole scope and scale of the music business, um, which was fantastic. Amazing. Um, and during the summers when I was at uni, I still came out to Ibiza to, just to work, really. Um, and I suppose my love and interest in electronic music kind of grew a little bit more. What kind of little jobs did you have when you came over? Well, to be honest, I um, I I had two jobs. My my first job was PRing for a night called Sundance in the zoo, which is before the zoo project. Okay. And um, I, it was a wonderful lesson I learned. Me and 20 other people worked all week and the day we were meant to be paid, the PR manager turned up and said, you didn't get one person in, no one's got any wages. <laughs> um, obviously, he kept with the wages and I brought him up on it. I know him quite well now. And he was like, yeah, that would have been me 20 years ago. <laughs> um, anyway, a week after that, I got a job as a PR in a bar called Bay Bar on the Promenade of San An. And um, I loved it so much, I stayed for three years. I was, oh, wow. Yeah, I literally stood there all day, every day, every night, saying, uh, gratis chapito of your first drink, and just things <laughs> like that. Not having a clue what I was doing, but just getting people into it a worked. bar. Yeah, and then, and then I think after three years, I got... Um, I managed to get a great move over to Cafe Mambo Group because um, I'd been managing the PRs at, uh, at Bay Bar. They said, well, come and manage the PRs for Savannah and Mambo as well. So it was suddenly a massive step up. Yeah. Um, and suddenly I was working, promoting pre-parties, getting to know DJs, you know, a far, far bigger business really and understanding how that really operates within the Ibiza market, starting to do pre-parties for Pasha. Um, one of my main roles once a week was to start get groups of girls to come and have a glass of kava with uh, Trevor Nelson to get the DJ booth going. And, you know, it was just an interesting job for, a, what was I, a, a 20-year-old kid, really. Yeah. Um, and then that went well for a couple of weeks, a couple of years, but then I got to know a really, really amazing promoter on the island called Mo Chowdhury, who was the boss of Cream, amongst other things. And he was relaunching a really cool venue called Kanya. Um, and it was going to be a bit more of a kind of entertainment complex, apartments upstairs, swimming pool. And he had this idea of like three parties a day, like a pool party, a pre-party and a night party. Never really been done in a bar. Um, and he brought me over to implement his plan. So I was running all the promotion and all the events. Um, and I learned a lot that year. I think we were the what first... What year was this, sorry? I think this is now 2006... Five or six. Um, we even became probably the first bar to manage to charge people 15 euros to get in to a Kiss to Funk, which at the time was quite an amazing yeah. thing. I don't think anyone's really done that. Uh, and then um, the next year, Mo took me over to Cream to be his number two within Cream Ibiza, which was another massive step up again because 
I've gone from really bar promotions to club promotions okay. now. And my first job there was looking after the DJ booth, you know, making sure that the artists were happy, um, helping run, oversee the promotion, but then also in time being the person that would kind of collect the money, pay the staff wages and start getting a proper broader knowledge of exactly how an event works from this is the event, this is how the event ends and all the, all the bits in between. Um, and these were amazing years, you know, this is when Cream really helped kind of discover and break these acts that are massive now but weren't at the time, you know, the Swedish House Mafia, um, Annie Mack, uh, Dead Mouse, Eric Prids, you know, th these were our resident DJs. And of course, Trance was huge at the time, you know, yeah. Paul Van Dyke, um, Eddie Halliwell, Above and Beyond were, were really big. Uh, so that, that, that was an amazing couple of years. And then we got given the opportunity to bring Tiesto to Ibiza for his own weekly residency. Um, now, this is a time before the likes of Ashwaya were here. So there would never been seen any production on this level before. You know, it was the world's biggest LED screen behind Tiesto and the oh, world's biggest wow. club. Um, and is this we, a privilege? Yeah, this was a privilege. So we were probably the first promoters running two really separate events at the same time, Cream and Tiesto. Um, which for me, once again, I mean, I'm now, I was then 24, 25. Huge. You know, it, it was a huge opportunity to learn business on this scale. Um, and then opportunities just kind of kept coming because of that. Um, during the winter, I moved to Leeds and I was lucky enough to be given a job running a really good night called Glass House, which at the time was very hot, uh, very cool night in Leeds and Leeds was amazing at the time. It had some of the best promoters in the UK were all in Leeds. Um, but I realised straight away there was a big hole in the market there and everyone was doing something quite cool. Nobody was bringing the biggest artists in the world to Leeds. I mean, Leeds was a B city. It wasn't really on the big agents and managers' maps. Um, it was very much, we do London, we do a festival, we might do Manchester. Um, but I started working with a company who are actually, they're a massive gay company. Um, so they own things like Federation, uh, Mr Gay UK, Bent Magazine and things like that. And they took on a huge warehouse venue to do their gay events but obviously to make ends meet they need to do non-gay events um so they brought me in to try and bring in the biggest djs in the world into this warehouse called victoria works and um i managed to do it like within a first three months we were doing events with cole cox oh, wow. uh, the swedes paul van dyke uh, you know dead mouse groove armada um dub fire you know and it, it was insane we, we literally bought the biggest artists in the world at the time to leeds um and it went on for a couple of years. And then as these things do, you know, it, it came to a bit of a natural end. Um, but then that gave me another fresh start because I was still with Cream in Ibiza and they wanted me to work with them all year round. Uh, so during the winters, I relocated to Liverpool to work out the head office. Um, I was given the job at first to kind of help business development management to kind of help grow Creamfields as a international touring brand. Um, but in time, I ended up concentrating more on running the Liverpool side of things because we had Nation Nightclub, which was amazing, and we, we had our own, you know, regular shows in there. And then I became the manager of Cream uh, Ibiza eventually, which meant I was pretty much concentrating on, you know, running Ibiza and all the ins and outs and parts of that business. Um, so booking the DJs, you know, advancing the shows, promoting the shows, running the shows, collecting the money, so banking everything. money. Everything <laughs> was suddenly on my plate, um, which was a phenomenal opportunity. And once again, it was the kind of start of another great era for Cream. Um, we had built up Calvin Harris from being a kind of band on the indie scene into a DJ, and then suddenly he was this big headliner. Um, 
you know, he became a global superstar at this yeah. this time. And we went from, you know, ha having three, 4,000 people in the club to at least double that um, every time he played and selling out the venue. It, it, it was a really, really nuts um, era. And also at the time we ran the Radio 1 show. So every every year there was a big Radio 1 show at Privilege or somewhere like that. And that was our show. Once again, we'd book it, we'd promote it, we'd be selling out Privilege. Um, we also decided that time to bring Creamfields into the market. So we did Creamfields Ibiza. Um, we worked with the, the great team over at Ashwire and we did it over Ashwire, Ashwire Tower and Hard Rock. And we put, I think from memory, something like 18,000 people. Wow. Which, I don't know, it might be the biggest show ever in the Beatles. That's huge, or, I yeah, I would probably imagine uh, so. Maybe Space might have done better at some point, I guess, for their closings. But it, it was insane, you know, the Prodigy on one stage, Angelo on the other one. Um, and it, it was just a really, really, really great era that everything seemed to be working, you know, really, yeah. really well. Um, and then I suppose I kind of had a bit of a change... Um, uh, Really, my kind of outlook on life changed a little bit when I got married a couple of years ago in Ibiza to my wife, Charlotte, and uh, we decided, well, you know, instead of all the back and forth, why don't we sit and settle now in Ibiza? Um, bought a nice villa uh, and uh, we had a baby here. And when that time happened, I kind of took stock of my life and I very much thought that previous era has been amazing for us. But now I kind of want to build something for myself, for, for yeah. our own, you know, moving forward. And at the start of 2018, I decided to leave Cream, um, you know, incredibly amic amicably. I, I owe pretty much everything I have to them. Um, but we wanted to start our own thing and move forward. And it gave us just a really good opportunity to then work um, independently across other businesses. So now you have the Supernova Group. Yeah. This was your new project. So mm -hmm. can you just tell us a little bit exactly what it consists of? What exactly do you do? Yeah, I mean, the whole concept of this company was to, in my eyes, fill a hole in Ibiza of a company that could operate independently across various um, venues, businesses and sectors at the same time without feeling like they completely could only um, work, uh, you know, commit to one. So at first we were offered... Strangely, actually, Nokia came to us through another company. They wanted us to help launch their new smartphone in Ibiza, and they wanted somebody who could get the phone in the hands of all the DJs, Roger Sanchez, Steve Lawler, Sam Devine. They wanted to be able to do a big launch party. They wanted to bring all of their influences to Amnesia. Yeah. You know, we, we, they just came to us and said, can you do all of this for us in Ibiza? And it wasn't until that point I realised that, yeah, we actually could. You know, we were in a very unique position in an incredible place. And you probably have so many connections and have done so much on the island that you could just exactly. have it all. I mean, yeah. we didn't realise we had that. Yeah. Because we were so used to doing an event. And then we were like, wow, we can actually fill the dots and all these things. And we kind of had this concept that we could be the glue that could kind of, you know, people come to Ibiza with their concept and idea and we could implement it for them. So the idea at the time in the Supernova Group was to represent products, brands and artists in Ibiza. Very much, you come to me with what you want, we'll implement it. You know, there's millions of concierge companies. It was nothing to do with concierge. We're not bothered about sorting you a car or a hotel. We'll help you launch or run your business here. Um, then we start talking to Privilege. Privilege needed somebody to help book them and run them an opening party last year. So we thought, well, that's fun. You know, we've done a lot of events here. So we brought in, you know, Faithless and Sasha and Kolsch and did a really good opening party with them. 
And then I, um, I had a really, really positive meeting with the guys at Defected, which is a company I've always loved and respected loads. I, I think they're amazing, really, to be honest. And they were very keen for us to take over their on-island operations for Defected. Um, you know, they're a phenomenal company, but they felt like they needed someone on-island who could really implement the brand, promote it, run the events, and just deliver it. Um, so last summer, we took on Defected. Amazing. At Eden and San Anne. Um, and for me, they're a company that had an incredible history, but they were now on the up again. Um, they'd repositioned really well to this hot, fresh 18 to 25-year-old market. Um, and I really felt like it was something we could work with. And it, it went really, really well. We, we, we really had a great year with them last year. But also, we wanted a second brand as well. Um, and obviously, we had a lot, of, uh, a lot of very strong history working within Trance. And once I left Cream and Cream's relationship with um, Amnesia changed a little bit, they left and they went to high. Um, so it was a very quick thing for us to put together. I'm very good friends with Paul Van Dyke, who worked together for years. And we just had a chance, said, look, you know, shall we put together something for trance in Ibiza? You know, yeah. give all the, the loyal trance fans around the world that come to Ibiza a home for the future. And, I mean, this was a chat we just had in, in March. By the end of March, Paul was here with me in Ibiza looking at venues. By the beginning of April, we'd signed a contract. By the middle of April, we'd picked a name. By the end of April, I'd booked an entire lineup. Um, by May, we were promoting it. And then we opened and we... Just we, like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just like that. And we, um, yeah, the brand Shine was launched. Um, and it was very much about positivity, you know, the future. Yeah. Trance is very much a kind of family-related thing because it, it's quite niche. People feel very passionate about it. And uh, we wanted to give them something that really they felt a bit of ownership over. Yeah. Um, we launched it in Privilege Vista Club, um, which felt like the right venue. You know, we, the whole concept was the sunshine coming through and a very light and airy, being able to dance and see Ibiza town in the, in the old, you know, in the distance. Um, and also we were realistic. You know, the days of uh, trance having seven, 8,000 people are gone, but we were very happy having a couple of thousand people there. To us, that was, that was yeah. what we wanted. Um, so it was the perfect venue for that uh, launch, really. Um, and then from this, we've, we've kind of been offered lots of other brands. People are like, well, okay, we want our brand in Ibiza. We need a company to work with. They come to us a lot of the time. Um, a lot of the time we have to turn it down because we don't want to overstretch, overexpose ourselves. And we don't want to create competition for ourselves. So I then started looking a bit outside of events of what we can do because I don't just want to be a promoter forever. Um, we found a couple of things we wanted to invest in. So a very good friend of mine started a fashion business called Acid 87. And I really liked it. You know, he, he straight away he launched and he had all the DJs from, I don't know, Heidi, Salado, Alan Fitzpatrick, you know, all these really cool DC10 kind of DJs all wearing, wearing his clothes, especially whilst, whilst playing. Um, and I thought, well, we could do something with this, kind of getting bored and grow it a little bit. And uh, so we became partners in Acid 87. Um, we started kind of taking off to a little direction. We started working with artists on a back-to-back -back range. So people like Camel Fat would send us a design, we'd remix it oh, and then cool. launch it as their own product. We'd get DJs that inspired us. We'd then make some clothes that we felt were inspired by them. So for example, we, loved, we knew Fatboy Slim loved smileys. We made a smiley shirt inspired by Fatboy Slim. We sent it to him as a present. He loved it so much. He's like, can I buy one for my son? And then we launched that. And I it, bet that's it, nice as well. It's something yeah. refreshing and something different for you to do. It's not always just like clubs. Absolutely. It, and, and to be honest, I love learning. It, yeah. It's a total learning curve. I mean, you know, I, 
me and my partner, we're not from a fashion background, but we've got a fashion business that yeah. we're still learning about. Yeah. Um, I mean, also another opportunity, my barber wanted to launch a new barbers and came to me with a great idea of a barber, very traditional barbers set in a kind of a whiskey um, and craft, uh, craft ale pub with a kitchen that could do vegan food and would sell vintage clothing out of it. And I just, I was like, cool. this sounds really fun and creative. Let's just do this. So we ended up investing in this as well. It's called The Alchemist, which has been doing really well. Um, and then, you know, a couple more things came from it as well. Um, we are, we're partners in a new holiday group, which has launched, which is really exciting. Um, a good friend of mine launched a Facebook group about a year ago um, just to celebrate workers from 2000 to 2010 in Ibiza. Oh, yes, Have I was looking it? at this the other day. Yeah, it, it, interesting. It looks so good. Yeah, I mean, at first, everyone's just putting up photos, stories, reconnecting. And then after a week or two, like, everybody's saying, we need a reunion, need a reunion. And um, my partner's based in Croatia. And he said, look, do you want to be the partner on Ireland? What's your, or what do you think about it? And I was like, yeah, do you know what? This would be quite a fun little thing. So... We did a, did a deal with Ibiza Rocks Hotel. We got together a couple small little brands and we announced it and suddenly we'd sold loads of rooms. We're like, oh <laughs> shit, this is actually quite big. And then we thought, well, we need to make it bigger than it is because we don't want people coming here going, I thought it'd be a bit bigger than what it is. So yeah. we had a few conversations and suddenly it completely snowballed. Um, Judgment wanted to come back for one night only with us and then Retro, who were big at the time, wanted to come back with them and then um, Garland's wanted to do really their big hat party 25th for their 25th birthday and then we had a conversation with Darren Hughes from We Love and Darren was like I would love to come and be involved uh -huh. in this as well so now we're doing a We Love party in the zoo um, and suddenly we've put together a whole program of events amazing really celebrating 20 the last 20 years of Ibiza um, and that's going to be the beginning of this October and it's called One More Time so it's all workers that are coming over from all over the world just to yeah. this is a big big reunion big reunion very much built around workers from that time or people that really kind of were Work here connected. yeah and loved it and I think um there's been a lot of positivity on the island about it because people seem to miss that kind of closing week that they used to be, very much built around the space closing. Yeah. Whereas now, all the all the venues are doing their own closings. It's really spread out over a month. And what we're being able to do is create a week-long kind of uh, programme of events that people could come and build their final trip to Ibiza around um, and just kind of finish the season on a bang, really. Yeah. So just going back to promoting mm. Ibiza again, how has promoting on the island changed from when you started until now? Well, I mean, it's... I, I suppose we've had a different change of era now, really. It was very much print media there. I mean, people say beef has changed for negative reasons, but one positive I can think, I remember when I first got it, you had to wade through an inch of flyers to get into the sea. That, I mean, that there was 20 PRs on every bit of beach just promoting you, giving you yeah. things all the time, posters everywhere, you know. It was literally flies and posters everywhere. Now, because you're promoting a lot of the time online, you're also announcing your things about, you know, six months previously. Um, the whole kind of concept of promoting has changed. The way you speak to people, the way you find your audience, it's now very targeted through social media instead of just covering the island, hoping that somebody sees it and wants to come to your event. Yeah. So, I mean, that's one way that it's changed a lot. Um, also, it, it, it's it's also changed a lot now because you need to be a lot more kind of diverse in, in what you're thinking. You know, you, you can't just be like, right, well, we're just a techno event. We just want kind of techno fans. Well, unfortunately, there's 10 other techno events. 
and the big techno DJs are now 50 to 100 grand. You, you need it to be a big thing. So yeah. whereas a few years ago, you'd be quite happy building something new that's like, you know, it's for me, my friends, our family. Now you're like, wow, we need to go on a big scale. So promoting isn't really about building something slow from the ground up now. You need to be big straight away. So you've got to kind of over-promote to launch your brand now. And these are the two things that I think are very different these days. What do you think um, is the hardest part of promoting an Ibiza? I mean, there's two things, two parts of that really. First of all, it's, it's very difficult to book a lineup. That's probably the first thing that probably a lot of people don't consider. Um, I mean, for example, when I was with Cream, we, we always had very good lineups, but the thing is, people were playing for brands. Yeah. And then it became an era of the end of the brand. You know, Gatecrasher Stop, uh, God's Kitchen, Head Candy, Ministry the artist became the brand. And venues coming through like um, like Ashwire were very quick to get onto this. We don't need a brand, we need the artist, people coming for the artist these days. So suddenly the party's just called Hardwell or, yeah. or, or Kygo. So brands were kind of insignificant. In fact, it looked bad playing for a brand because people were like, what, you, you don't have your own party? So that's the first difficult thing now, you know, having, having artists that really want to commit to a brand instead of having their own night. Um, the second thing, obviously, is the competition. It's insane. I mean, you're talking, what, seven, eight nightclubs here, open seven days a week, plus all the daytime parties. The audience have a very limited amount of money, you know, time and energy. Yeah. So when I start coming on holiday, you came for two weeks, and we'd have seven big nights out and seven nights in the West End. We, we, we knew our plan. That was it. That's exactly what you did. That's Loved that. It. To do that now, you'd need about 10, 20 grand. <laughs> you really would. So you, yeah. you, they don't have enough, as much time. Um, and because there's a lot of daytime parties now, you don't really have enough energy. You have to do a day or, or a night thing, yeah. obviously. And uh, so that's the difficult thing. You're really competing against everybody else and everything else. But people have a certain amount of money per day. They might buy a T-shirt. They might go on a boat. They might go for a nice dinner. They might come to your club. But the problem is, it's not just a competition of the price of the ticket, it's all the associated costs, the taxi price, you know, the entrance to getting in, any extras you want. You might want to buy a table because you want to show off on Instagram like, like everybody does. So you're, you're competing for literally, like I said, time, energy and money now. What are your thoughts on the current clubbing scene here in Ibiza? Um... I mean, it's very hard to be negative about it because we've got to realise this is this is a tiny, minute little spot in the world. It's I don't know what it is. It's about quarter the size of Cornwall, yeah. <laughs> and it has it has like you know the seven seven of the best clubs in the world, fifty of the best bars, some of the best food, some of the best weather, some of the best beaches, and some of the best people. Yeah. So we can't sit here and go, oh yeah, do you know it's not as good as it was, and oh it's not very good at all because it's totally exceptional. It's unique in what it is. Yeah, it's always going to be the best primary place for it. It's going through changes. There's always political issues. But that's just like everything, though, isn't it, really? It's like everything. It's progression. You know, things will always develop and move forward. I mean, I'm very optimistic about the future. I'm pleased that San Antonio seems to go through its kind of roughest patch. I feel like there's a proper uplift there. 100%. Um, A lot of that's to do with people like Eden or the Mambo Company or the, uh, the Ibiza Rocks Company really investing in it, which is fantastic. Um... I'm not one of those people that's going to moan about Ashwire and High and the Matutas and all the changes there because they bring a lot of people here. They employ a lot of people. Yeah. I think it's essential to be that these big companies keep operating. Um, and I think people just have to embrace change and find the positives in it, personally. Where do you think you can see Ibiza in five years? What do you think it will be like? Um, I think it will still be the number one 
clubbing destination in the world without a doubt. I think people will start coming here for other reasons, more though, because, you know, it, it's a good place to, to eat, it's a good place to go to the beach, bring yeah. families and things like that. Um, I, I just think it's only really going to be a, a positive future. The only problem will be a lot of people getting, uh, getting priced out. That is the one negative. And yeah. I don't think there's really anything that could be done about that, unfortunately. Um, I don't know who, who's going to wave a magic wand and stop that problem. Um, but I'm hoping people still do want to come to Ibiza and celebrate how unique and incredible the place is for everything that it does offer in one tiny little destination. Yeah, I agree. And what tips would you give somebody that would is thinking about or is just starting their own night in Ibiza? Oh, wow, don't bother. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you know what? It's funny. We get people coming to us all the time wanting to do this on, on every scale from the big DJs to, you know, bedroom DJs. Um, I think it's... First of all, you've got over the big herd of wanting to do it. You know, if you want to do it, then you'll make it happen. And then that gives you a gift anyway. Yeah. I think you need to come here. You need to find your own little venue. You need to go and make friends with them. Get back to being part of a people business again. Shake hands, look people in the eye, say to them passionately, I want to do a party in your venue. Do you want to work with me? And um, take any opportunity you have and then... Someone eventually says, yeah, here's my room. You know, you could take the door, we'll take the bar. Work your bollocks off. Yeah. You know, build up your social networks, go old school, do the posters, flyers, do guest lists, invite everybody you know. And if you can get 100 people in the room that are all enjoying it, you've, you've got a spark there that you need to ignite. You, you, can, you can start and you never know how it's going to grow. I mean, there were parties... You know, I, I'm sure I'm sure the guys at Glitterbox were mind me saying, but only about four or five years ago, but when they launched... Was only a couple hundred people in that room. Yeah. It's now got over five thousand people a week. It is in top, the top three best parties on this island. Yeah, I mean that's incredible speed and growth. Um, a few years ago, yeah, that is really quickly. Yeah. A few years ago, yeah. El, I mean I went to Elro when it was in the Vista Club. Once again, seven eight hundred people. Now it's the biggest party on the island. Yeah. I remember when music on, you know, didn't exist. Now look at the size of it. So you've got to start somewhere. And if you're a good promoter and your product's good and you work hard, you're passionate, then you can go anywhere with it, but you need that initial interest and drive and ambition to go out and go, I'm going to go and start my own thing. Yeah. What would you say has been one of the proudest moments in your career? I don't I, I have had a few pinch yourself moments, actually. I mean, um, let me think. I mean, one of them, I had a great moment when we, we had, um, we had Creamfields in, uh, in Abu Dhabi and I had to fly out for the day and look after that and, we had to take the prodigy to like Ferrari World and Water World for the day. And then I was on stage and our lineup that day was Prodigy, Calvin Harris, Above and Beyond and Disclosure. And like oh. I was event managing that and I was stood there thinking, I mean, this is this is a bit nuts. You know, some some kid from some fishing town in Cornwall. <laughs> um, and, you know, another one was when we... I, I think really we were the first promoters to sell out Amnesia, Privilege, Ushuaia Complex, Creamfields and Space. And that realisation was quite a big thing for me um, because although, you know, I was just a part of that, we were the ones really booking the lineup, promoting the shows and everything. And I think you've got to take some pride when you, you know, you start off as literally somebody on a promenade giving out a flyer for a free Shapito. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, a few years later, you're stood there in front of 10,000 people thinking, you know, we, wow, we, look what we did. That's a bit of a pinch yourself moment, but you've got to be very grateful um, and humble about the opportunities given to you. You know, but uh, we've been very lucky to be able to what we do and we're doing it in a really good era when there's really good artists that can help sell that volume of tickets, obviously for really good brands as well. But it, it's just great just to be a big part of the whole thing. Yeah. 
Nick, thank you so much. No, thanks for having me. It's it been a pleasure. It was really good chatting to you and listening to all your stories and your journey. Oh. And uh, good luck for the season. It's yeah, going to be a good you. one for you. Thanks. You have a great summer too. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>